Good morning, Cornerstone, and it's my privilege today to be preaching from Genesis chapter 28 and the story of Jacob's ladder. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28 so that you can follow along and read what God's Word is saying for yourself. I begin today with a question. Where is God? This isn't a question that we tend to ask in happy times. It's not a question that we would normally ask at a graduation ceremony or a wedding or at the birth of a child or some other kind of happy event. It's the question we ask in those times of despair. Where is God? Where is God when someone we love is dying? Where is God when someone we love is turning away from Jesus? Where is God when we feel betrayed? Where is God when we see the awful fear and conflict that we see in the day-to-day news gripping our world? Where is God in all that? It's a question that a church family might also ask. Where is God when we feel the pain of separation, when we can't be together, And when we can't gather around the Lord's table to remember his death by breaking bread and and drinking wine, symbols of his body and blood. Where is God when we see our brothers and our sisters hurting? And we do see that. Where is God in our pain, in our loss and in our grief? Whether these things have caused, been caused by ourselves and our own sin and our own foolish decisions, or whether these things have been caused by others, where is God in this time of pain? Now, God's word shows us very clearly where God is in these times. And it shows us this very clearly in Genesis chapter 28 and the story of Jacob's letter. Now, I'm sure that that you have a Bible story that you feel a very special connection to. And the story of Jacob's letter is one of those Bible stories for me. As a child, the picture of Jacob's letter in my Bible with the beautiful angels rushing up and down from heaven made a very big impression on my mind. And I've preached on Jacob's letter and I've taught about Jacob's letter many times. And I've thought about it on and off for as long as I can remember. And its power and beauty becomes more and more precious to me as the years go by. And I pray that it will become just as precious for you, more precious, if it isn't so already. Now, before we look at Jacob's letter, the question is, what does Jacob, this man who lived in the Middle East some 3,800 years ago, what has Jacob got to do with me, with us, with our church? Why should I learn about him? How does, what does his life say to me? What does it speak to me? What does it communicate to me? 
Well, Jacob was a child of God. We're going to see that in this passage. And we learn from his life how God treats all of his children. And Jacob was a patriarch, one of the founding fathers of Israel. And as a patriarch, there's a sense in which he was Israel. At this point, the whole nation is embodied in him. When we read about Jacob, when we learn about Jacob, we learn about Israel, we learn about God's people, we learn about the church. The church is personified in Jacob. What is true of him is true for the body, the church, all of God's people. And we learn from Jacob's life how God deals with his church. Well, look with me now to Genesis chapter 28, and I'm picking it up from verse 10. And I'm thankful that the whole chapter was read earlier in the service. We read in verse 10 that Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. There's a lot of sadness in these three sentences. Jacob had been born into a prosperous and loving family. The name Jacob, however, means to grasp or to manipulate. And he was a manipulator by name, but also by nature. And earlier in the book of Genesis, we read that he had manipulated, he had tricked his brother Esau into Esau handing over his birthright. And then he tricked his blind father into stealing Esau's covenant blessing. Now Esau was very angry about this and he planned to revenge himself by killing, Dave, killing Jacob. And so Jacob is fleeing. He's fleeing from the family home. He's fleeing from Esau, who wants to kill him. He's fleeing from Beersheba, which is in the south of the Promised Land, to Haran, which is in the very far distant north, north of the land, right up near Mesopotamia. After running all day, Night falls, and there's no motel, there's no friendly house for Jacob to sleep the night in. And so he is forced just to lie on the ground in the open air with nothing but a rock on which to rest his head. This is a picture of a lonely, guilty and destitute man. He has lost everything, and he's exhausted. He's exhausted physically, relationally, morally, and spiritually. But he is not just separated from his home and from his family and his livelihood. He is separated, apparently, from the Lord God, who promised his grandfather that the family would become a great nation, 
with a beautiful land and that his family would have a great name and that they would come to bless all the nations of the world. And apparently he is separated from all these covenant blessings. The covenant promise now looks like a, a sick joke to, to Jacob. A great nation. Jacob is all alone. A beautiful land. He's having to flee out of that land. The only real estate he has is that rock on which to rest his head. A great name. Jacob is the manipulator, the grasper. He has a shameful name, a blessing to the nations. So far, Jacob has brought nothing but trouble and strife to his family, let alone being a blessing to the nations. Jacob has not just lost his livelihood, his home and his family. He appears to have lost all of God's glorious covenant promises. It's the way it appears. And he knows that he has no one to blame but himself. He can't blame Esau. He can't blame his mother. He can't blame Isaac. It's all his own doing. Now, sleeping with your head on a rock would give anyone a strange dream, I think. And Jacob certainly has a very vivid and strange dream. We read in verse 12 that he had a dream in which he saw a staircase resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now in the Old Testament, and not least the book of Genesis, God often communicated truth through dreams. And in this dream, in this vision, God teaches Jacob something vitally important. He teaches Jacob that he has lowered a ladder from heaven to earth, and he has sent his angels down that ladder to minister to Jacob, to bring him God's help, to bring him God's forgiveness, to bring him God's salvation. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 asks, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? This God-given dream teaches us that God saw Jacob in his loneliness, destitution, his shame, his spiritual bankruptcy, and God loved Jacob. And God had compassion for Jacob. Why? Why did God love Jacob? Why did he send help to Jacob? Why did he send down this letter with angels rushing up and down to help and to minister to Jacob? Why did God do that? Was it because Jacob was lovable? Well, he wasn't. Was it because Jacob had a 
heart of gold that only God could see. No, he didn't. God knew that he had a deceitful heart. He loved Jacob because that's who the Lord God is. He's the God who loves lonely, destitute, bankrupt, shamed, sinners, not because of their sin, but because of his compassion for sinners. And his compassion as he sees the terrible consequences of their sin, the consequences that they bring on their own shoulders and those around them. It was God's grace, it was God's mercy and compassion that caused God to lower that letter from heaven to earth and to send his angels to minister to Jacob and to help him to bring salvation. In Genesis 11, we read that the people of Babel built a tower to reach up to heaven. And they tried to get themselves up to heaven to seize heaven's blessings, to make their own security, to try to seize a great name for themselves. The fact is prideful, rebellious, broken sinners like us we cannot seize heaven's help. We have no claim on God. We have no claim on God's mercy and salvation. We cannot make the Lord God help us and save us. The only claim we have on God is for his judgment. And so God destroyed the Tower of Babel. He raised it. And he taught by doing that. He taught humanity for all time that we cannot reach up and force the hand of a holy God to help us, to save us. We can't do that. But Jacob's letter shows us that the God of love and mercy and grace can reach down to help us and to rescue and save us. And that's exactly what God did. For Jacob, God built a ladder down to him and sent his angels to minister to him and to bring help and salvation to him. We learn from this that a gracious God reaches down to save broken sinners. Now look to verse 13. We read that above it, above this ladder, Above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. God was saying, in other words, Jacob, I am helping you. I am saving you. And not because you deserve it, but because that's what I promised to do. 
That's what I promised your grandfather Abraham I would do. That's what I promised your father Isaac that I would do. Of course, God had built a ladder of salvation blessing for Jacob because he had made a covenant promise to do that. Yes, Jacob's exile would involve real struggle and hardship. And we read that in the following chapters of the book of Genesis. But God said to him, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this land. And this teaches us, brothers and sisters, that a gracious God reaches down to save broken sinners because of his covenant promise. In verse 16, we read that when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Now, at that time in, in the land of Palestine, people tended to think of little gods who ruled over little geographical areas. And it seems that Jacob thought of the Lord in, in that kind of way. He thought that the Lord was the local God of Beersheba down to the south of Palestine. Fleeing from Beersheba, it seems that Jacob thought that he, was, he had left the Lord behind. The Lord is the God of the south of the Promised Land, and I'm fleeing north, so I think I've left him behind. And not just the Lord, but the Lord's covenant promises. Jacob thought that his deception and his flight had severed him from the covenant. But God's dream corrected that wrong thinking. God was right there with Jacob, even though he was fleeing out of the promised land. And that's why Jacob said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. I thought I'd left the Lord behind, but I haven't. He's still with me. He is right here. His ladder reaches from heaven to where I am right now. And so Jacob was afraid, we read in verse 17, and he said, How fearsome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So there's Jacob, and he's far from home now, and he's there with all of his betrayal and his manipulation and his sin. And he realizes that he is in the presence of the Lord the holy, holy, holy God was perfectly just and righteous. And so he's frightened, rightly so. How fearsome is this place, he said. The Lord God, I haven't left him behind. 
He's here and he could strike me down at any moment for what I've done, for how I've betrayed my family and particularly my, my blind father. How fearsome is this place because the Lord is here. But the Lord in his covenant of mercy and love is not bringing judgment on Jacob. He's helping Jacob. And he's lowered that, that salvation ladder from heaven to earth. And he's sent his angels and they're rushing backwards and forwards, bringing help and salvation blessings to Jacob. And so Jacob names that place Bethel, which is Hebrew for the house of God. Jacob was saying, by calling that place Bethel, he was saying, though I have behaved appallingly and I have torn apart my family and shamed them, though I am reaping the consequences of my sin by having to flee and I've got nothing, not even a a house to, to stay the night in. I'm in the howling wilderness. But because of God's covenant promise to save me, because of his love, mercy and grace, I am in fact in Bethel. I am in fact in the house of God. It looks like I am in the howling wilderness, but in fact, I am in Bethel. Though my circumstances are terrible, I am in Bethel, God's house. And these hard circumstances that I'm surrounded with will be turned around to help me. And God will turn them around to bless me. Now, there's something very important to note here. By giving Jacob that vision that night, God wasn't saying or implying that he had built that staircase there and then on that, that first evening when Jacob was fleeing from the family home. In fact, this was a kind of apocalypse. And we know that the word apocalypse means to pull aside the curtain God was pulling aside the curtain to show Jacob what had been true the whole time. God didn't build that staircase just on that first night. It had always been there. God had always had his hand on Jacob. God was always blessing Jacob and helping him even through the terrible things that Jacob had done to himself and to, to his family. God was able to work in spite of him and in spite of those sins and through them to bless him and to bless the covenant people that would come from him. There was God graciously turning what Jacob had intended for evil into good for him and for those around him. The dream opened Jacob's eyes to see what was, had been true the whole time. That a gracious God reaches down to save broken sinners because of his covenant 
in all their life's circumstances. Well, I want to move now from Genesis chapter 28 to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And we are jumping forward uh, many chapters, many books of the Bible, but we're also jumping forward about 1800 years in time. We are now in 30 AD and we see Jesus and Jesus has just called Philip to follow him. He's called Philip to follow him and to be his disciple. And Philip is very excited about this. And Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel in his excitement. And he finds Nathaniel, and we read this in John chapter 1, verse 44. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel, instead of being impressed with what Philip has told him, well, he just says sarcastically, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Nathaniel asked, uh, Nathaniel asked that question, can anything good come from there? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And he would have had a twinkle in his eye as he said that. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus is saying, I saw that whole exchange between you and Philip when you said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now that grabs our attention, doesn't it? You shall see heaven open, just as Jacob saw heaven open. And you, like Jacob, will see the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder, but on me, the Son of Man. Jesus was saying, Nathaniel, you will see what Jacob saw. And although he saw a vision, a, a kind of cloudy vision of the future, you will see the fulfillment of that vision. You will see the reality. You will see angels ascending and descending on me. You will see, Nathaniel, 
that I am that letter. I am God's letter that joins heaven to earth, upon whom God's angels ascend and descend, bringing salvation blessings to God's people. Nathaniel, you will see all God's promised blessings coming through me. And so when we put Genesis 28 and John chapter 1 together, and it, it's so delightful to see that and to be able to do that, and, and our Lord Jesus teaches us to do that. When we put Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28 together with what Jesus said to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, we learn that a gracious God reaches down to save broken sinners because of his covenant promise in all their life circumstances in his son. He brings that salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the living reality for the Christian. Whatever place you are in right now, Whatever hardships you are facing, you are in Bethel. Just like Jacob, you are in Bethel. You are in the house of God. Jacob was in the howling wilderness and he apparently had lost everything, yet he was in Bethel. God opened his eyes to see that. And the scripture is saying to you, and you might feel like you're in the howling wilderness, but if you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, then in fact, you're in Bethel. You're in the house of God. You're standing like Jacob at the gate of heaven. And all God's angels are ascending and descending upon Christ for you. For your help, for your salvation, for your blessing. In your time of pain and trial right now, and in our own struggles as a church, God's word lifts up our heads to see this heavenly vision. Though in pain, we are in Bethel. We are in the house of God. We are at the gates of heaven. And Christ is that ladder. And in Christ and through Christ, the angels of God are ascending and descending, ministering to us, God's people, just as they ministered to Jacob, bringing his forgiveness, bringing his Holy Spirit, bringing his strength, bringing his courage, bringing his joy in trials, bringing his peace. In Christ, the Lord God is ministering to us that heavenly letter is still there, and that letter is Jesus Christ. Now you might ask, but what if the pain that I'm going through, what if the struggles I'm going through are of my own making? Wouldn't it be presumptuous of me to think that God is blessing me in Christ? when the pain I'm experiencing is caused by my own sin, 
is caused by my own foolishness. How can I do that? How can you say that God is helping us in our pain when our pain is of our own making? This is how I answer that. This is how God's word answers that. Just look at Jacob. Look at Jacob, who is an example of all God's people and who personifies the church. It was his own sin. It was his own manipulation and betrayal that left him in the desert. Yet God was there. He had rebelled against God, but God had kept hold of him. Because God is a God of grace and love. And when God makes a covenant promise to save someone, then nothing can cause God to break that promise. It cannot be done. Jacob knew that he was there because of his own sin and his own betrayal. Yet God was there and he was forced to say by that vision, surely the Lord is here and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is here. That heavenly ladder was there the whole time. And just as he did with Jacob, God works through our sins and our mistakes and our foolishness. And I'm so glad he does because that's about all we've got. I'm glad God can work through our mistakes, that he's wise enough and powerful enough to do that because that's about all he's got to work with. He can work through the sins and mistakes of others to bring about a blessing for us and, and his people, the church. And he can even do that through our own foolish errors. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, verse 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. God doesn't just work through the wise things, the pure things. If, that's, if they're the only things that God worked through, then he wouldn't have much to work through in terms of us and the church. He works in all things and even our mistakes, just as he did with Jacob. So Genesis 28, Jacob's Ladder, it's such a beautiful Bible story. It's been a blessing to me my whole life, or as long as I can remember. And it, it, it compels us, doesn't it, to look up from our fears and our hurts and our disappointments. It compels us, compels us to look up with eyes of faith to God's Son, Jesus Christ. It shows us that heaven is open. It shows us that God's 
angels are ascending and descending on the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, for us, for our help. Look up in whatever your circumstances right now. Look up and see that you are in Bethel. You're in the house of God. It might look like a wilderness, but in reality, you are in the house of God and God will turn all of those pains and trials for your good and for the good of those around you. A gracious God reaches down to save broken sinners because of his covenant promise in all their life circumstances in his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.